welcome to Best Laid Plans. This is your host, Sarah Hart Unger, and this is a podcast about all things planning and planning adjacent. Here we are, and it is mid-April as this airs. I am definitely in Q2 now. There was a little bit of blurriness in terms of when that quintile actually began for me because I haven't really decided whether it should begin after spring break or before, but I'm leaning towards after because the kids are back to school, our routines have resumed, and that seems like a nice time to have a fresh slate of goals, which I do have and I'm excited about. I have to say, I'm also kind of happy finding myself with more things to plan. I think I talked about how as someone that's very into planning and anticipating and gets a lot of joy out of that process, one of the big losses during the pandemic was the inability to do that because, you know, when you had so much uncertainty, it was not really possible to put things on your calendar and know they were going to happen. So it's kind of like there was a double loss. You lost the actual things and then you lost the anticipation of the things if you were the kind of person that liked to do so. Well, Now I am taking extra joy in being able to anticipate at least some things with at least decent certainty. Although I guess if anything, if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's that nothing is ever certain anyway, because who knows what's going to happen. Anyway, we're getting a little deep today. Today is a Q&A episode, but I thought I would sneak in a couple of personal planner updates before I get to the questions that we have. So I kind of hinted that I was taking a break from my Wonderland planner. It was a wonderful planner. It still is a wonderful planner. I just kind of got tired of having to write so tiny in the little grids, which is odd because I used the Hobonichi for years and they really have the same grid size. But somebody sent me a day designer that I reviewed in detail in a prior episode. And it made me realize that you know, my natural handwriting is a little bit bigger than what I was cramming into those little grids on the Hobonichi and the Wonderland. And having that freedom to write a little bit bigger and to use the gel pens that are so glidey and fun to use made me really yearn for more of that in my general planning life. So I did give the Wonderland a rest, both the planner and the daily notebook. And I am currently using an Erin Condren Weekly Softbound Planner, which I will review in more detail in a future episode. We all know that Erin Condren had a lot of controversy around things that happened in the brand last summer, but I think they've actually come a long way in trying to, I don't know, make up for poor judgments in the past. And if a company is really going to put in week after week, honest efforts to correct something that went on, I feel like that does deserve something. And I now feel comfortable, honestly, almost feel like happy to be able to be an Erin Condren customer again and show them that I appreciate the efforts that they have made. So I ordered this planner and I'm really enjoying using it, especially the incredible paper quality and the way that it works with my gel pens, as well as a cute pack of dual tip pens that I ordered from them as well. So again, I'll do a more deep dive in a future episode on those products, but it's a confession that I have ditched my prior planner. Now, somebody asked me on my blog whether as an upholder, did it really bother me to now be in a planner where parts of it are blank? A little bit, I guess, you know, the completeness of not having my entire year, but I'm just kind of ignoring it and looking forward rather than back. And since this is a 2021 planner and I started it at the end of March, there are still, you know, eight months ahead for plenty of pages that are available to use. So, I mean, maybe it would bother me more if I was starting it like in October. And it was kind of silly to carry around a planner that was 75% useless, but this one didn't bother me too much. 
And I will say that when I moved in, I had to move in entirely. So I spent a couple of hours copying every single engagement and checkmark and note to myself that I had put in my Wonderland 222. Because if I hadn't put all of them, then I would no longer be able to trust my planner to have, you know, the little reminders that I know are embedded in it, which is part of how my systems tend to work. So I moved over completely, put all my calendar dates, all the reminders for the rest of the year, and I'm really enjoying using it. Now, if I get tired of this and want to go back to that one, it wouldn't be that hard to do. I would just have to figure out when I switched and then, you know, go forward from there back in the old system. But I guess this is a note to say if a planner is not working for you, there's nothing magical about magical about staying in a planner for an entire year or season or academic year. And it's okay to switch back and forth because sometimes one may fit your needs at one time and then something else will fit your needs at other times. I know that the women who do planners and wine, you guys know I love that podcast, uh, feel similarly and are often experimenting with different systems and don't necessarily assume that they're going to be in one planner for an entire year or academic year. So that's my confession. All right. So into the meat of the episode and the questions that we have today. Three of them were submitted via audio. This is your friendly reminder to please go ahead. And if you have a burning question for Best Laid Plans or even the other podcasts that I do, Best of Both Worlds, you can submit them via SpeakPipe. And there's a link on my blog and many of the show notes and also on the Best Laid Plans page. You do have to limit them to 90 seconds. But if your question does happen to be longer than that, you could submit two questions and I could put them together. So we could get around that (laughs) problem if we needed to. All right. Our first question comes from Marianne. I have a question about what to do with information that you receive, but you don't need now and you don't know when you'll need it in the future. My example of this today was someone sent me the name and email of a person to use in case I need to process payments for an organization. I'm not sure when I'm going to have my first payment to process. I'm sending myself a weekly email with this information to try to remember because my biggest concern is that I'm not going to remember that I already know this and someone will have to explain it again. If you have tips for what you do with information you need, not now, but someday at an unknown time, I'd love to hear it. Thank you. All right. Marianne asks about uh, where we, what we do with this reference material that we know we might need sometime, but we don't have a specific time we're going to need. I have a couple of things that I tend to do in these situations. The first is if it's really, really vague, I will just save it in Gmail with a bunch of descriptors and an email to myself because I know the search feature of Gmail in particular is so good that if I really need to find it later, I'm probably going to be able to find it as long as I put a few descriptors. So let's say it's a party planner that I think I might need to use. I might put their name in there and write like party planner for future Cameron's soccer birthday or, you know, some sort of keywords that would help me to recall what it is. And then when I need to find it, I know I can get it. Now you might say, but Sarah, how would you remember that it's there? Well, guys, I mean, our brains are good for something. I think if you are at a point where you need something, you're probably going to think about the fact that someone gave you a tip. And if you don't think about it, then maybe it wasn't that important anyway. I mean, part of planning is accepting the fact that you can't catalog every single piece of information, but the ones that you are going to need, you're going to be able to find them. So that's kind of how I do it. The other thing you might do is save a contact in your phone with the descriptor. So if I get like a babysitting lead, I always save it with the word babysitter in there or a camp idea. I'll save it as a contact with the, you know, camp name. So again, I can search that way. And then finally, the third thing, if you really don't want to forget about something, you could file it in whatever your someday maybe system is. One way to do that would be a digital system such as Apple Notes or Google Keep. I keep my someday maybe in Apple Notes 
So if there was some exciting class or something that I really, you know, might have wanted to do later, but it just wasn't the time, I could just paste the link in that folder. And then chances are, if I thought about that class and wanted to find it, I would remember that it was, oh, I put it in someday maybe, or maybe I'd have to search both places, look at my email and there, but I'd find it where I need to. I think also just letting go of the idea that you're going to need to find everything is okay too. That's what Google is for. Search engines are amazing. I can't imagine how we lived without them, but we did, or at least I did. Some of you listening are probably too young and never did, but I do remember the days before Google and it was, it was tough guys. It was really hard. I was like in high school, but you know, okay. Digression. All right. Question number two, this comes from Erica and here is her question. Hi, Sarah. My job, similar to yours, has two distinct elements to it, teaching and research for tenure. So I was wondering if you had ever put to use the Eisenhower matrix or the urgent versus important matrix in your planning or in your time blocking. I find myself very often getting pulled into the urgent tasks, which tend more toward teaching because there's things like grading and responding to student emails. And while teaching has a lot of very important elements to it, the research for tenure does as well. And the research tends to have less urgent deadline. It's more something that needs to be going on in the background. So while the urgency of teaching often pulls me toward that, I find myself needing to balance it because there's aspects of both that are very important to making tenure. So I was curious, Okay, I thought this was such a good question that I am including it, even though poor Erica got cut off at the end of her question. I'm not sure why it wasn't at the time limit, but I wanted to save it anyway and use it. So I think I can glean from the first stem of her question that what she wanted to know was how to prevent these non-urgent tasks from going entirely into the back burner in favor of you dealing with the urgent. I definitely have a very parallel kind of challenge to her. In my case, it's more the clinical work instead of teaching versus the research projects and kind of more long-term things I need to do, which relate to our residency program. And there's no perfect answer, but the first thing I would do is to make sure that you're familiar, as I bet you already are, but just in case, with the work of Cal Newport, because I think he does a lot of excellent work that looks at how to make sure you are taking the time to do things that you find important and not just urgent. Um, He talks about it on his podcast, and he also delves into it during the book, Deep Work. And I think that blocking off time to do this work, which tends to be deep work, is probably part of the issue. So if you're a professor, you might want to have protected time during certain days of the week, maybe in the morning when you're thinking more fresh, that is going to be dedicated only to making progress on your research. Because as you said, While it's not urgent, it's still incredibly important because if you want to move forward in your career and make tenure and do all those other things that academics do, you need to have time to get it done. So scheduling time to do it and protecting that time from the urgent things, that's number one. Number two, and something that I do, is I make sure to put those things into my monthly goals. And what that does is it forces me to pay attention to what I'm putting on my weekly goals to making progress towards those things. Because if I don't have them like kind of nagging at me, in my goals list, then it is very, very easy to forget them in favor of other things which come up that may be more urgent. So by making sure that you have a whole section in your monthly goals that are translated to weekly goals and then, you know, blocked out in your days to these things, that's going to help. And then finally, something that really helps me is to add some urgency to these non-urgent tasks. 
I do that in two ways. The first way is I will schedule meetings with people that I'm working with and I will make a promise. Like I'll have a draft about IRB submission prior to our meeting. And that forces me to take this work, which didn't really have a deadline and gives me some accountability and a deadline, which I know upholders are not supposed to need. But when it comes to the important and non-urgent, I do tend to need them sometimes. So that helps. The other thing that you could do to add urgency would be to tie it to a specific application or event. In my line of work, that might mean like, okay, I really want to have a goal of submitting, you know, a abstract to this conference with the goal of hopefully getting chosen for a platform presentation. Now I have deadlines. Now I have a very clear timeline for when I need to have the abstract done. And you probably know what you need to have done to create that abstract and such. So by adding some urgency to these goals, which might not have some inherent urgency, then I think that can really help them from staying too much in the background. I would love to hear from any academics who listen to this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Factor. Factor is sponsoring this episode with an awesome discount code, PLANS50, to give you 50% off your first month and 20% off the next. Trying out our sponsors helps keep the show going, and I think this is a wonderful time to give it a try, given that it's always a busy season. Factor offers no prep and no mess meals that are tailored to your wellness goals. They offer multiple options from protein plus to plant-based to keto and many more. No matter what your health goals are, you can keep kitchen time to a minimum while enjoying healthy and delicious meals with premium ingredients with Factor. You can get started feeling great and fueling well now by giving them a try. Head to factormeals.com plans50 and use code plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code plans50, P-L-A-N-S 50 at factormeals.com slash plans50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. You are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes in part from Jenny Kane. I love Jenny Kane and I hope you love shopping there to support the show. When you do, visit jennykane.com and use code PLANS for 15% off your first order. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and this is the perfect gift to treat all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Think minimalist and effortless, yet totally refined. This season, I am so into the beautiful dresses that Jenny Kane has on offer. My personal pick and what I'm hoping to wear all season is the Callan dress. I have it in the khaki color and feel like I could literally wear it to anything. And the best part is it's perfect for warm weather, which we have plenty of, but you could also layer it in a chilly air-conditioned space. I also have my eye on the day dress. It's such a classic silhouette. One thing you might not know about Jenny Kane is that they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase and joining is completely free. Find your perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code PLANS, P-L-A-N-S, at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code PLANS. Get yourself and the women in your life the best gift of all, Jenny Kane. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know that some academics also have very different, I guess, ways of managing tasks. There is one in particular who reads my blog, and I don't think she can even, I don't know, fathom living such a checklist constrained lifestyle because there is people who spend a lot of their lives in deep thought, sometimes bristle at the idea that you're going to kind of turn their big, important works into a bunch of checklist items. But at the same time, at least for me, I'm not going to move forward on things unless I have some pretty concrete checklists that are part of them. So you do you, (laughs) I guess, is what I would say about that. All right. So yes, I would welcome feedback from others who have a similar conundrum within their career of how do you make sure that you are continuing to prioritize non-urgent, but very important projects in your work life. Question number three comes from Jen. And before we get to question number three, I will bring you an episode from this week's sponsor, The Literacy Teacher's Life. Teaching reading and writing to children is more than following a lockstep progression or a list of predetermined activities and strategies. Instead, teaching children to read and write is complex and requires teachers to be systematic in their thinking so that children learn to problem solve, decode, and make meaning. If you are a new or graduating educator trying to navigate the literacy classroom, a veteran teacher looking for new ideas, or a parent trying to support your child with reading and writing, look no further than The Literacy Teacher's Life. The Literacy Teacher's Life is a website and blog that supports upcoming and current educators. It provides weekly tips and tricks for creative strategies and powerful practices for the students, as well as suggestions for navigating the job market and for making life's puzzle pieces fit together. Created by Elizabeth Morphis, a professor of child education and literacy and the coordinator of the Literacy Education Graduate Program at the State University of New York at Old Westbury, located outside of New York City, Elizabeth earned her doctorate in literacy education from Teachers College at Columbia University. So she's incredibly well qualified to share her knowledge. So if you are looking for evidence-based literacy practices to support students, With skills such as fluency, reading comprehension, or student-directed writing, subscribe to The Literacy Teacher's Life today. Visit The Literacy Teacher's Life at www.theliteracyteacherslife.com. All right, so here comes question number three. Thank you for your thoughtful episodes that have the level of detail that I appreciate in terms of being informative and direct. As you know, finding a planner match is a labor of love, and I'm struggling in this pandemic era with not being able to hold something before purchasing it, and I'm getting burnt out on planner disappointments. I found one that meets my needs for personal use. However, that product family does not seem to have one that I think will work for my business needs. What is your advice for someone who has an idea of what they want to down-select the choices? And is it possible to do this without buying several, waiting for it to be shipped, and then not being sure if you should settle if you're not completely satisfied. Thanks. Jen, this is tough. I agree with you. I mean, it's it's actually interesting. There are so few stores that stock the specialty brands of planners that when I find one, I get so excited about the idea that I can actually put my hands on products that I've only seen online for a long time. Like I, I remember when I saw my first day designer product, I believe it was in a little store in Virginia of all places, because planners are just not stocked everywhere. Yes, there are certain planners that are stocked at Target or certain lines of planners. Like I believe Day Designer and the had like a line for Blue Sky that was produced at Target. But a lot of times the flagship or just the more unusual planners and certainly many of the Japanese planners that I've used 
are very hard to, you know, just get a look at in any regular store. So you'd have to go to a very specialty retailer or you have to order online. My answer to this and not being surprised in a negative way when I order something is actually YouTube reviews. I am like the last person to use YouTube. I really haven't found it to be a medium that I get very excited about, except for the sole purpose of watching reviews of various planners. And there's one channel in particular that I like to go to because she does an incredibly thorough job looking at various planners, and that's called Amanda's Favorites. I'm sure if you search for that, you'll find it very easily. She has in-depth reviews of almost every planner out there. I'm sure there are exceptions, but she has a ton as well as collections where she'll do like the top 10 weekly planners for 2021 and the top 10 daily planners and the top 10 undated. And, you know, she just goes deep, deep, deep into all of the planners out there. And that's a way to get a really intimate look at a planner, almost the closest thing to using it yourself, because she'll flip through so completely and slowly. She'll comment on the paper and how it takes her pens. You will, she'll talk about the rings and the bindings, and she'll go through every single section. So you really feel like you're getting a sense of what's in there. So I think that doing some deep dives into YouTube is probably your best answer for making sure that when you shop for planners online, you're actually getting what you want. The other two things I will say is that ordering an older version of a planner can be a really fun and easy way to get a taste of whether it's for you. So for example, I noticed that when I put my affiliate link up for Day Designer, several people actually purchased planners through that link, but they purchased the old ones that were half price. And I thought, what a great idea because those were 2021 planners and it's it's April but they still have eight months left in them. And they were selling them for literally 50% of the cost, which is much more reasonable, but they still have many months left in them. And even if that really bothered you to use kind of an incomplete planner, what a great way to try out a system and see if it's going to fit you without the investment of purchasing a product that is at full price, that's got, you know, full 12 months. And then you find out two weeks in that it really wasn't for you because planning is so individual. And sometimes I do feel like I have to try a system before I know whether it's going to work for me. So that's another tip that I have. And then finally, looking at return policies is good. Some places actually will accept it back. So making sure that you look at that and whether if it's not to your satisfaction, you could ship it back if you really want to put your hands on it and flip through it to make sure it's going to be a fit for you. So those are my thoughts. YouTube reviews, ordering old versions, and then making sure you look at return policies. All right, I've got One more question in here, and that is an analog question about a workout planner. Sierra sent in the question, and it goes, Hello, Sarah. I absolutely love your podcast. I'm a huge planner buff myself, and I find joy in hearing you express that love out loud. On a recent episode, you spoke about how you are going to have a dedicated log for your workout separate from your planner. I already have this, but I'm struggling to find a layout and system that works for me. I do cardio daily, and I alternate between a strength workout and a yoga practice as well. Have you found a layout or system that works well? Would you be willing to share a picture? Of course, I'd be willing to share a picture. So I will say that I'm not sure I have found the perfect system. And the irony is that in the end, I think that just putting my workout records into my regular daily planner might be the best thing for me because I do find there are a lot of books that I'm currently using and maybe there are a couple too many. So consolidation may actually be your answer if you can find space in your regular planner to put the details of your workout that you want to keep. But I was using a weekly training journal that had a space for each day where I could record like the weights that I was lifting and the 
in my strength sessions, as well as running details that actually came free from the running training plan I was doing, but I will share a picture in the show notes so you can see how it's laid out. There are also some commercially available fitness planners that have space for your meals and other metrics related to health and fitness. There's a really cute one from Inkwell Press that I have tried out just for fun, as well as a, I believe, Commit 30, which I reviewed their regular planner in the past, has a fitness-only planner. And I feel like their format with the, where you try to commit to a habit for 30 days and like check it off, that's kind of a nice format for a fitness planner. So those are two. I'm sure there are many more on the market. The other thing is, as I said, you could just kind of embed it into your weekly spread. I do put my workouts onto my weekly plan so that I kind of know what I'm quote unquote assigned by myself each day. That really helps me to get it in when I pre-planned it. So even though I don't record the details of my workouts in my regular planner, I do mention what they're going to be in general and I enjoy checking them out. So there's no right answer here. I think a blank bullet journal style could work as well, especially if you want to track things you know, over the course of years, then a blank book might be the best because you could really track trends in your running paces or the amounts you're lifting. If you're sticking to one book that you are, you know, fitting several entries per page that could last a long, long time. All right. Well, this has been such a fun episode addressing your audio questions. I really enjoy the questions and please keep sending them in either audio or via email. You can reach my email shoeboxblog at gmail.com, S-H-U-B-O-X-B-L-O-G at gmail.com. Or you can always leave a comment on my regular blog, theshoebox.com. Send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm not there all that often, but I do check in at least once a week when I put my like show notes post up. So please hit me up anywhere there if you'd like me to address any of your questions in the future. In the meantime, I have some really fun guests coming up, one specifically an expert in routines. So look for that in an upcoming episode. And I will do the promise deep dive into my current Erin Condren slash day designer hybrid system that I'm using right now and really enjoying probably the week after that. So have a great week and send me your questions. Thanks so much. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.